just a touch past 7 o'clock. It's time for Ira on Sports, 95.9, the True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Ira not in studio today. He's uh, halfway across the country. But, uh, Ira, we've got so much to talk about with the NFL draft uh, in the in the rearview mirror now. I think you're pretty happy with how the Steelers did. Don't mention the Giants. I really don't want to discuss that at the moment. Um, but first and foremost, Ira, before we, uh, before we get into everything, where are you right now? I'm in Los Angeles. I am psyched. This is just an amazing time in sports. I, I'm chomping at the bit. I called you earlier today to go over our show, and I think I just kept talking and talking and talking because there's just so much to talk about. This is a great time in sports, and it is just – I just love it. You've got every sport going, and I love the NBA playoffs. You're getting in the, 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 the great games every night. Uh, Kentucky Derby this weekend, a big fight this weekend, the NFL draft and all the teams talking about that, baseball in full swing, the hockey playoffs going on. I mean, it's great. It's tremendous. What a time. And, you know, Ira, speaking of the Kentucky Derby, we've got a good friend of this show, Mike Iavarone, coming on at about 740. Would you like to fill us in if we're not familiar about with Mike? Well, he's just one of the – at one point in 2008, he was the uh, most famous horse owner in the world. He owned uh, the, the horse Big Brown, who was favored to win the Triple Crown and won the Kentucky Derby in Preakness. And he had the Benny the Bull, which is another Eclipse winner, winner. They have this Eclipse winner, and he had, I mean, almost every Eclipse winner that year. And then he got out of racing for a while, and now he's back in it. And uh, But he was certainly enduring that time in the early 2000s, was the name in horse racing. And who last year predicted Justify. We had him on the show in, in like, February, and he went and said, justifies winning the Triple Crown. So I'm dying to know. I haven't talked to him with predictions, but I can't wait for him to tell me who he thinks what his horse this year is going to be. And you know what, Ira? This is one of the most wide-open Kentucky Derbies that I've seen in the 10 years I've been paying attention to this, meaning there's a lot of money to be made. If, if you can get some inside information like we're going to get from Mike uh, Everone around 740, you might be able to cash uh, some nice little tickets on on Saturday. Um, Ira, so what, did you, what were you up to this week? I know uh, you took in at least one baseball game. I went to the baseball game on Sunday, Dodgers-Pirates, and then on Friday I saw the Clippers and Warriors uh, at Staples Center. So it was very exciting. I, I, was, I was shocked that I could actually see a game there. I think they, everyone was shocked. But it, so they, the Warriors had to come back and clean up their series because they had a horrendous loss in Golden State on Wednesday night, but then on Friday they, they ended the series. Um, Ira, before we uh, get into the NBA, uh, we lost a, uh, a great NBA player uh, just a couple of days ago. Uh, John Hamblecheck, uh, truly one of the greatest players to ever play in the game. 16 seasons, and he had eight championships. He was 8-0. and So we talk about Jordan being 6-0 in the finals. He was 8-0. and He won the NCAA title at Ohio State in 1960. He was a four-time NBA first-team, first or seven-time NBA second-teamer, 13-time All-Star. He has 20,000, 26,000 points, 8,000 rebounds, 6,000 assists. Only one other player, LeBron James, had done that. Uh, Boston Celtic, great legend, played there his entire career. Um, one of the greatest players to ever play the game. And it's, uh, if you don't know him, you know, it's the one thing about basketball right now is that it's players like Handletech and Chamberlain and that air that built it for what we're watching now. And uh, just a tremendous player. And if he would have played a great outside shot and played in today's game, he would have had uh, many more points because he probably would have been shooting threes all the time. But just a great, great player, and uh, certainly he's lost. But it should be mentioned because people don't talk about the historic basketball players in the past, and he's truly one of the at least top 20 players of all time. No, absolutely he is. And, you know, it's a lot of people coming out. Some, a lot of the older sports writers have been coming out and saying, 
you know, without him, the league wouldn't be, you know, what it is today. Just just how good of a player he was, and you know, being there with, um, you know, with the Celtics and everything. It really, um, you know, was the cornerstone of, of that team that was uh, so good. I re- <coughs> speaking about so good, Giannis Antetokounmpo, guy's really good, but Boston was really able to shut him down in Game One. Um, yes, and now I, this is there's a theme of this whole we're gonna talk about the NBA, and the theme is the good. The good is. Kevin Durant and Kawhi Leonard are dominating the NBA right now. And Boston has their mojo back. And Damian Lillard for Portland had one of the greatest games I've ever seen, and it was a huge win over Oklahoma City. The bad is Oklahoma City and Westbrook, Joel Embiid, Joel Embiid and the Sixers, um, James Harden and the Rockets, and definitely Giannis and Milwaukee. Uh, they were able to close out Detroit on Monday. Uh, 127-104. We had talked on our show that there's going to be some closeout games, and that was one of the ones that they totally destroyed. And they were uh, at one point where it was up by 30 points in the game. It wasn't even close. Um, it was it was a good win for Milwaukee. But then they come into Boston. And remember, last year, uh, Boston was able to defeat Milwaukee uh, in, in, the, in the playoffs. But uh, this is this was totally different. I, was, I thought Toronto, I mean, I thought uh, Boston would win this series. Uh, I thought Boston was a better team. I think Milwaukee was ready, but I was shocked by how what a poor performance um, it was. Uh, it was it was just a disaster uh, to lose at home in a, your biggest playoff game by 22 points. Uh, Boston jumped out to a 40-25 lead. The Bucks came back when Giannis was on the bench, and by the end of the third quarter, the, the Celtics had stretched the lead to 21 points and. It got a little close at the end, but it was really not in doubt. And uh, out of tempo, he ended up 7 for 21, uh, 8 rebounds, 2 assists. He didn't play well. Every time he drove, Al Horford uh, stopped him in the middle. I mean, he, he doesn't have a great outside shot. He did drain two, a couple threes. Uh, but it was he just was just that defense was perfect with Brad Stevens' design. Marcus Moore started for the Celtics, and it was like every time he and, and Horford and Everyone else with the Celtics would just collapse, and Otapenko could not figure out a way around us. And it's the difference between the playoffs and the regular season. In the regular season, you're playing games in, teams are flying in, they don't have time to prepare, and you can have these 41-point games, and the 38, and no one's really playing defense, but in the playoffs, nothing is like that. And uh, uh, it was just amazing. I mean, he was shot, it was, it was at one point in the third quarter, he was shooting three for 15. Uh, Kyrie Irving Played great. I mean, he had 26 points and 11 assists. Jalen Brown played really well for the Celtics. Tatum had a bad day, but it didn't really matter because they had Hayward's now playing well. I mean, this is the team that we thought that Boston was when the series the year started. People said they're the favorite to go to the East. They played bad all year, but now they've won five in a row. Um, and Milwaukee is going to have to get better scoring from Middleton. Uh, Bledsoe was one for five. Um, they're really missing having uh, Malcolm Brogdon out. He's out for another game, but uh, they shot just a woeful 34%. And uh, this is a must to a, a must game, game two. Milwaukee has, if they go down 0-2, going back to Boston, this series is going to be totally over. And uh, it just shows, I mean, it's, it's the playoffs is a different form of basketball. And Giannis is, was just not ready in that game one at home and did not bring his A game. And if he doesn't, doesn't play better, they are going to, they might get swept. No, I mean, absolutely. You know, I, I want to talk about that, um, you know, just a second, a little bit more, but it's so funny how, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, um, Horford, these guys are different players. Not that they're bad in the regular season, but they know how to step up in in these postseason games, and nobody was ready to do it for Milwaukee. Uh, So you already... uh, I'm kind of... Just off one game, I'm pretty much handing this series to Boston. What do you think? Can Milwaukee come back? 
Milwaukee can come back. I think Boston's playing great. And I think Boston's, I think this is just fun to watch. It's going to be great to watch and see how Milwaukee, this is not the Milwaukee team that, I, that, that had, remember, Milwaukee had the best record in the NBA, the best record in the NBA the whole year. But this is like Atlanta a few years ago when they had the best record. When you get in the playoffs, when you play these other teams, I mean, the, play, the Celtics have a lot of playoff experience. Not only all those players who made it to the Game 7, the Eastern Conference Final last year, uh, but also uh, Kyrie won a title with LeBron. So they know what these playoffs are about. And it's all about adjustments. You have now every game is everybody either has at least one day off. They're gonna, so whatever team is always an adjustment based upon the game. Um, but I, I, that was, you do not want to lose. He worked the whole year to get that home field, home court advantage, and then just give it away. And it wasn't even a close game. Uh, that's scary for what Milwaukee. I mean, I know Paul Pierce made a comment the series is over. I'm not going to say the series is over. It's going to be a great series. But the fact is that, that they're going to have to – I think Milwaukee realized that this is just a different form of basketball, and they were not ready for it. It's seven You're listening to Iron Sports. This is 95.9, the True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. At 7.40, Mike Iavarone, a horse racing insider owner of the legendary Big Brown. He's going to join us to talk all about the Kentucky Derby. Um, Ira, game two tonight, Philly and Toronto. Um, this should be a good one, and I, I was a little bit surprised about the outcome we got in game one. I wasn't surprised about the outcome. I was surprised about when this, when this trade happened last year. Milwaukee, Toronto made major changes to their team. I mean, this, is, this, was a, this, was a, this was a total switch up in terms, of when they, in terms of trading DeMar DeRozan for Kawhi Leonard. I said, boy, Leonard has been such a, such a great person, you know, great. I mean, DeRozan has been such a great teammate. Uh, he was just, you know, part of Toronto's fabric signed a long-term deal and just trading him. And there's a thing on Game of Zones on Bleacher Report. It's hilarious. It makes fun of the whole trade. And then they traded Valsunas for Gasol. And, uh, I mean, this is a team that Toronto says, look, we, we lost three years in a row to the Cavaliers. Um, LeBron's gone. Let's keep the team together. Let's keep it intact. Let's go for it. And Mazaya Giri, their general manager, said, no, I want to make this change. And DeRozan shipped to San Antonio. They got Kawhi Leonard, who sat at all of last year. But Kawhi Leonard in the first round and now in this first game against the Sixers, unbeatable, tremendous, great performance. And the Sixers that have had this dysfunction and had trouble with Brooklyn in a couple games, uh, they saw what it was really like to play. And they're, they now know that they have to have their A game uh, to play against them. I mean, they, both teams, it was funny, both teams totally blew out. Brooklyn, uh, Philly beat Brooklyn by 22 on, I think it was Tuesday, and Toronto beat Orlando by 21. And uh, it was a complete disaster for both Orlando and Brooklyn, but they at least making the playoffs is a great thing. But uh, last, on Sunday, Toronto was, or Saturday, Toronto was ahead of the Sixers um, by nine at the half. They took it by up to 19 in the third. The Sixers shot three for 14. Kawhi Leonard had 45 points on 16 of 23 shooting. Um, he was, first half, he was 11 for 17. Um, he had 11 boards, but most importantly, defense. He was just all over the court defensively. I mean, they're comparing him to Michael Jordan. He's not Michael Jordan, but the fact that he can dominate offensively and dominate defensively, that's what makes him Michael Jordan. He is not James Harden. He is really this great defender. Kevin Durant, too. If you watch how Kevin Durant plays now, he is great on the offensive end and the defense. He's like LeBron. It's at that high level where these players now are stepping up and playing on both levels. And Pascal Siakam, 12 for 15 only missed three shots, 29 points. They're two best players for Toronto, 74 points. They only missed 10 shots. 
Unbelievable. And Kyle Lowry, who was that inconsistent player for Toronto, who was their second option the last four years, and some games great, some games bad, he's the third option. He had nine points, eight assists. It doesn't count on him. They have Leonard. They have Siakam. They really don't need anything. And Paul Gasol on Joel Embiid. Embiid was a complete disaster. He was 5 for 18, missed um, 13 shots, only had 16 points, turnovers, fumbling the ball. Uh, ben Simmons had 14 points, but only three assists. He couldn't even pass the ball. And it was just, it was a, a disaster for the Sixers. Now, remember, they're playing in Toronto. It's not, they, you know, the, the series supposedly doesn't start until they went home. But if they go down 2 0, I don't see Toronto. I, I, this is exactly how I thought this would happen. I think, I think, I think the Sixers are a soft team because they don't, they can't take a punch and punch back. And uh, there was a point where JJ Reddick had bloody mouth and he was bleeding all over. Bleeding, the rest like I don't care. In playoff basketball, your mouth is going to bleed a little bit. So it was, uh, it was a disaster. And the Sixers don't have a bench, and it hurts them a lot. Toronto does, and uh, I, I think that Siakam, his play, three years from now, I'm going to say this: three or four years from now, he's going to be, he'll be better than LeBron James in the NBA. Like he, this is a player that could be first team All NBA. If Kawhi Leonard is looking to see where he's going to play next year, I would stay with Siakam because Siakam. Honestly, could be the uh, one of the candidates for MVP in the league. He just keeps improving and improving and improving, shooting threes, driving, dunking, great defense, two-way player, and uh, they look like Pippen and Jordan. Leonard and Siakam are like Pippen and Jordan because they both play great defense and great offense. Ira, why don't we uh, slide over to the Western Conference? Tell us uh, what's going on tonight because we got uh, two different two series that I think are going to draw different amounts of attention from the general public. Well, no one really cares about Portland and Denver because that's a weird series. It's the third, second and third seed. Uh, Den, uh, uh, Portland um, won uh, last uh, what, Tuesday night um, in the best game of the whole playoff so far. Absolutely tremendous performance. And Oklahoma City with Russell Westbrook and Paul George run their mouth. They don't talk to the press, but they brag, they brag, they talk, they talk, all this other stuff. But Russell Westbrook was completely annihilated by Damian Lillard, completely, not even close. And it was a complete, it was a total disaster. For the series, Westbrook shot 36%. He had two 5-for-21 games. He had uh, uh, averaged only 22 points a game with five turnovers. Lillard had 33 points a game, had 44% shooting, 50% from threes. He averaged five points a game. Even C.J. McCollum played much better than Westbrook. Um, in the final, I mean, this, this game, it was in Portland. It was game five. It's a must win for Oklahoma City. And remember, Oklahoma City's been knocked out now two series at two first rounds in a row. Westbrook is supposedly this great triple double machine, MVP of the league, the greatest of all time, Hall of Famer, all this other stuff. I mean, at halftime, it was 61 60 Thunder. Lillard already had 34 points. Then um, the Thunder went out on a huge, they got an advantage of 105 to 90. And uh, with seven minutes to go in the game, it looked like Portland's done. Going back to Oklahoma City, like this could be a series. But Paul George misses two free throws. Russell Westbrook had a stupid charge. Uh, it was just another turnover by Oklahoma City. And suddenly it's 113-113. George hits a shot to go up 115-113. Lillard makes this great drive, ties it up. But then Russell Westbrook, he drives down like a crazy person again, turns the ball over. So there's like 24 seconds left. Lillard gets the ball. He dribbles up the court. He's 37 feet away from the basket and just drains uh, just a dagger three. Game over. No more time on the clock winning the game. 
what a it just it's just a great shot. It was a they said Paul George was a terrible shot. The commenters said it was a terrible shot, but George had shot well from that distance. I mean, so it was like Willard had shot great from that dis- distance. He was eight from twelve from thirty feet or more in the playoffs. Everyone else in the was six for thirty eight for the rest of the teams in the league. So it was a it was a great it was a, just a great win for Lillard, and I can't wait to see him now on the bigger stage against Denver. Denver beat San Antonio. Um, for the, in the game seven on Sunday, uh, it was the Spurs were horrendous. I mean, it was they won first of all Nuggets won game at home, and then the Spurs won the game six, and they forced a game seven. It was one of the worst game sevens. The Spurs in the first quarter shot five for twenty four. They had thirteen points. Uh, both teams were awful, and it was a blowout the whole game. But Denver couldn't even stretch out the lead, and even and actually the Spurs had a chance to to at least tie the game at the end. And and just played terrible. And there was it was ninety eighty six, and the Spurs came down with twenty with tw- Denver came down with twenty four seconds to go. And Popovich for the Spurs is screaming timeout, call time, you know timeout, and that's time, a foul, calling for a foul. And I could not believe it. They would not. The Spurs didn't foul. Just let the clock run out. They even though they're only down four points, and it just shows what's happened in terms of you know some of these coaches. We talked about Coach K. They've won titles. They've won championships. Popovich could not get this team to play the way he wanted to play at the end of the game. And Popovich couldn't get Kawhi Leonard. I mean, he was on their team. He was under contract this year. He could not, as great as Popovich is, what a great communicator he is, what a great players coach he is, they couldn't keep Leonard there. And they were left with DeRozan, and DeRozan played horrendous. Had a terrible game. He was 7 for 21, 19 points. Um, Their other young player, Derek White, was 0 for 7 for 4 points. And the Spurs... You know, it was just a terrible ending. I, I do not think Denver won the series. I think the Spurs lost it. I think Portland will win the series. I, I, as much as the Portland's injured with a, a cancer's being injured, I like Lillard. Um, I still think Denver is a year away from getting it. But it's, it's not the sexy series that the other one is. <laughs> Speaking of sexy series, it's what everyone's talking about. And, of course, there's controversy already because why wouldn't there be um, once you get these teams involved? It's Warriors and the Rockets. Well, unbelievable. I mean, I watch the. I mean, can the can the Rockets stop complaining? Like, like I, you know, you're in trouble. It's one thing to complain, whatever, but just the constant. I mean, James Harden. They say James Harden. He always walks. James Harden always draws fouls on threes. Well, suddenly they call the game sort of the right way, and now it's the worst thing in the world. And now they're releasing memos. That when, you're start, when you're talking about Game 7s of last year because there's a memo out there that says that all these calls are wrong and everything, I mean, James Harden goes up for a shot. He can land. There were spaces for him to land. I mean, this is not like in the NCAA play, uh, finals with uh, NCAA tournament with the Virginia when there's a question with a foul. I mean, Clay Thompson, there was one play where I think he probably crowded him. But on these other plays, you're not allowed to jump, kick your feet out like you're swimming in a swimming and then get an offensive foul, a foul on that. Otherwise, what are we going to do? Just let it put a zone around. Everybody can go down, shoot a three. Nobody get close to them at all because they have to have a place to land. And it was ridiculous. There was a play for Chris Paul when he went up. I swear, he put his hips out. I mean, he looked like a dancer trying to move his hips to try to draw the foul. And he couldn't believe a foul wasn't called when they're clearly initiating contact. I mean, they should be called for, off- as Draymond Green said, they should be called for offensive fouls by what they're doing, by kicking their feet out and by kicking their butt out in terms of these things. And Houston's like, this is a conspiracy. Everybody's against us. Whining and whining and whining. But just make your shots. I mean, they, have, they didn't make their shots. They lost the game. I mean, here's a game. This was a game one where the, the Warriors had played. I was there Friday night. 
They had to come back and play Sunday in the afternoon. Thompson had an injured ankle. Uh, Curry had an injured ankle. They should have been complaining about the start time of the game. But no, they went in, they played, they started, they won. And then all the Rockets do is complain. They're all sad about what happened with the referees. Instead of just making your shots and playing a better game. But um, just, to, I mean, it was interesting. I mean, in terms of uh, the, the Rockets had finished off uh, Jazz last week. But then it was weird that in the Clippers beat the Warriors 129-121. It was one of the biggest upsets. It was the first time in the history of the NBA that double, a double-digit underdog won two games. Um, and Durant was tremendous. He had 45 points, but they just couldn't stop the Clippers. And then suddenly, I mean, I was going to be in, in L.A. this weekend. I said, I'm never going to see a game. But they came back and had to play on Friday at the Staples Center in a game six. Again, they were double-digit favorites, the Warriors were. Um, no fans were there. I was at the game an hour and a half before the game. There was nobody in the arena. Even an hour, even a minute before the game, it was, ha- it was like mostly empty. Uh, the ticket prices were nothing. I sat in the same row that Steph Curry's mom and dad sat. I was sat five seats over from them and paid like literally nothing to sit there. Um, it was it's crazy. I mean, the Clipper fans weren't into the game. They expected they were going to lose. Um, and the great thing about the game was Kevin Durant. Unbelievable to see him that close, to see a seven foot player handle the ball. Uh, he was just he hit 15 first quarter points. And then Curry, when it got injured, would go to the locker room. Clay's was injured. And then at one point, Durant had 20 of their 41 points. Um, he ended up scoring 50 points, 15 of 26 shooting, six of 14 from three. Um, every type. What I love about Durant is he doesn't just shoot threes. He drives, hits uh, fadeaways, twos. He plays how you're supposed to shoot. He's unstoppable. They were putting everybody against him. Three people, two people. It doesn't matter. He could just score whenever he wanted. Um, it was a tremendous win for, it's not tremendous, but just a tremendous game for, for Durant. And just an example why he's the best, I feel the best player in the NBA. I, and I don't think it's close right now. I think Durant's won the two-time final MVP. He's now, if he wins it again this year, that's three times in a row as a final MVP. I mean, it's like Michael Jordan. Um, but in, last night, yesterday's game, I'm at the Dodgers game, so I'm watching this on my iPad. <laughs> and remember, last year went to Game 7. The Warriors were down 3-2 and actually won that series. But um, Iguodala started, they're out with Cousins, but Andre Iguodala has played extremely well in the last, like he's been injured a couple, of, like last year was injured, this year he's been healthy and he's played well the last two games. Um, but both Curry and Thompson were game time decisions, uh, but they came in and, uh, and, and played well. It was 98-95 Warriors with two minutes to go. Uh, Katie got fouled, made to Harden drove and got a three-point play, made it 198. Curry comes down, hits a dagger three, but Harden came down, made it two, uh, Durant turned the ball over, but then that's where the whole problem was. Harden took a three. He said he was fouled. Then Chris Paul got the ball, turned it over. Then he, then he bumped into the ref. I mean, it was a total mess at the end of the game. Total disaster. I mean, the Rockets were getting uh, Chris Paul thrown out of the game, D'Antoni getting a technical foul, the totally breakdown. And then you saw complaining about the referees. And if they want to keep complaining about the referees, they're just going to lose the game. And there's a, there was a show play where they showed where, where Chris Paul was complaining to the referee and Durant just took the ball and just, just dribbled down the court. Like, if you're going to waste your time when the ball's in play, complain to the referees, the words are going to score. So I was not impressed at all. I mean, Harden, um, he's shooting 36% in the, in the playoffs. He's had games of 11 for 26, 11 for 24, 3 for 20, 8 for 19, 10 for 26, 9 for 28. Durant shooting 57%. Average 35 points a game. It's no comparison. I mean, Harden's going to win the MVP or Jonas is going to win the MVP. But you got to play like an MVP player. This is when you the tournament, the, the game is on the line. Don't want to hear excuses. The Warriors were hurt. The Warriors were playing with no rest. The, the Rockets were there on Thursday. Terrible loss for Rockets. 
This is going to probably go seven games. The Rockets are a great team, but they got no scoring from Capella at all. He was awful, and uh, Chris Paul played just average. But 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 it's really going to be James Harden. James Harden's going to have to have one of these twenty-five. He's going to play like Damian Lillard, twenty-five for thir- like twenty for thirty-five games and, and make threes and play better defense. But uh, it's uh, it was it was a very interesting first game. And when Draymond Green had a triple double against the Clippers that final game, and he was 14-9-9, 14 rebounds, 9 assists, 9 rebounds last game. Tremendous performance by him. He sort of, he, his mindset is there. I mean, I was at the game Friday night. He's talking to the crowd. He's having a good time. Someone says, you stink, Draymond. He goes, I get a triple-double. I don't think that much. He was joking around. He was fun. Uh, I, I'm telling you, I think that this was, this was a chance. The Rockets need to win that game one. But still, you never know. I mean, the Warriors did lose to the, to the Clippers. But uh, this series is tremendous. Must watch every night. Let's move on, Ira. Um, one thing I've learned uh, this offseason in hockey is that you really just don't know what's going to happen. I love a sport that has as much parity as it does, and we're seeing just crazy results every night. But for the most part, the second round's been pretty balanced. Um, we can start out in the West. San Jose and Colorado, they're tied up one apiece. Well, I think the weird thing is that San Jose, that San Jose Vegas series Three nothing. Vegas is ready to go to the next round. They get a. It was a terrible call. I mean, they had a face off with uh, with eleven minutes to go in the game, and with ten minutes to go in the game, and uh, and the Vegas player just cross checked uh, the San Jose player in the chest. He fell on the ground, hit his head, blood going everywhere. But it it was just it was just a normal push. It wasn't even probably a penalty. But the referees who had initially didn't call penalty called it a five minute major, which allowed San Jose just to keep shooting and shooting and shooting without even after they scoring. And they actually got uh, without you know bringing out ending the power play, but had a straight power play for five minutes. So they scored four goals. They went to overtime, and San Jose and uh, eliminated uh, Vegas. And my friends in Vegas, I mean, shocked. I mean, it's total. They you know they made it to the finals last year. They had this great year this year again, and to just be out of the playoffs now, that people were just devastated by that. But it's it's one one, and Colorado's a great team, so it'd be very interesting to see what's going to happen the rest of that series. Dallas and St. Louis are also tied at one game apiece, and this is two teams that are definitely founded on defense, and they're going to try to keep these games low scoring. Um, Dallas got an excellent uh, excellent effort from Ben Bishop uh, to tie up that series, so this one is probably going to go seven. Ira, I was looking at Boston and Columbus, and. This is two teams that, that that go after it, and Boston is one of the most skilled teams in the league, and probably is the, the most skilled left. Uh, you know, once uh, Tampa Bay was knocked out, this one's tied up uh, one apiece also. And John Tortorella and and the Columbus Blue Jackets are not going to sit down lightly. Sergei Bobrovsky's been playing good, and I think this one goes seven with Boston and uh, the Blue Jackets. Yeah, I was watching that at goal. I mean, watching the I'm at goal in L.A., which is this big sports bar. It was pretty cool. Friday night, I wasn't there. They brought the Stanley Cup there. So you might see it on NHL Network. They brought the Stanley Cup to goal. Um, it's a bar that Kevin Connolly and Leonardo DiCaprio own. And uh, it's a hockey bar, but it's a sports bar in West, West in Hollywood, really. And uh, it was, uh, but I wasn't there the day, and they have all these pictures of the Stanley Cup being there. Uh, but uh, but I watched that that Columbus game in overtime and and you know Boston really had their chance to uh, they, I mean there was they had like three open nets like to in order to score to make it a two zero series and just missed those those shots um, and a big win for Columbus and uh, uh, so yeah again just it's almost like all these series could go uh, seven games. You know what, and and the one that might not is the one again I, I can't predict anything this this uh, off season. After the Islanders beat Pittsburgh, I was looking at this team and the way they played, and I'm thinking, 
Man, this Islanders team, people need to watch out for. Everyone in the East should be a little bit scared. Carolina was the team I'm thinking, ah, they don't have a shot. And here we find Carolina up two games to nothing over what was a super hot Islanders team. Yeah, I mean, that was, again, that was cool. So I, the next day, I mean, I'm in, at goal, I stopped in goal, and I couldn't believe that you had maybe 100 people in the bar, all Islander fans. So really? you're all the way in Los Angeles, I mean, as far as you can be from Long Island, and everyone, and these aren't just people like, oh, with a hat on. I mean, they're full Jersey, <laughs> everything, Islander fans. So it's pretty exciting to be in Los Angeles when it's 80 degrees, and it's like all the, all the Long Island fans are screaming, and they were certainly not happy about the result, but, uh, but a lot of passion. I mean, that team was great in the 80s and, and, and have, have a, just a, a fan base of a, a lot, even everywhere across the country. I, you know, I've never seen an Islanders jersey, hat, shirt, anything outside of Long Island, so that's that's exciting to hear. Um, you're listening to Iron Sports 95.9, the True Oldies Channel. It's 7:33. We've got Mike Iavarone, uh professional uh, professional horse handicapper, also uh, owner in the business, joining us here in about seven minutes. Can't wait to get his picks on what's going to happen with the Derby. Ira, you want to talk draft uh, a little bit before we get to him? What, what do you want to do? Um, why don't we talk, why don't we start with our others and then we go back to the draft and after Michael, then we talk to the draft. So we yeah. can go, let's, let's do the other sports and then we come back, get Michael on and then we, uh, then we can go and do the draft when he's done. Well, let's talk a little bit of uh, baseball. You were actually there. Um, you were at the Dodgers Pirates game this year. And, I mean, this uh, week and Cody Bellinger, uh, if, if you're, if you're, on, if he's on your fantasy team, you're looking pretty good right now. The Los Angeles Dodgers are amazing. I mean, they just are like, okay, let's bring another player for pinch hitting, Justin Turner. Let's bring David Free. I mean, they, it's just, they could feel two teams. I mean, they're like one of those high school teams that their, their second and third string could win, like win every other game. They are loaded. They have so many pitchers. They have so many batters. They're so good. It's just toying. I mean, they are, they are just, it's not even fair. Um, and the Dodgers have such a great fan base. They're playing the Pirates on a Sunday. There is, it's like beautiful in LA. It's sunny. They still get 40,000 fans. I mean, it is amazing. Everyone goes. They have, their fans are loyal. It's a great, I mean, it's not the loudest fan base. They're like, oh, we're not that loud, but, but still 40,000 fans. I mean, the Marlins are getting 40,000 an entire month. <laughs> they get for one game against the Pirates. Um, Bellinger is tremendous. He had a home run. Um, he's just, I, I think he's, he has 15 home runs, 33 RBIs. He's hitting 430. Um, but it's just everybody on the team, the young players, the veterans, uh, Rich Hill, they, they, they spotted the Pirates a 5 nothing lead. They weren't nervous. They came back and won the game 7-6 anyway. So it doesn't matter. They're just winning everything. Um, and I just love we, – so I went into this game. I sat in their Lexus club for the game. Absolute, well, the best, the best VIP experience you could go to a baseball game. I mean, we talked about what great food is. Tremendous. Any food you wanted, it was so nice. I could watch the basketball. I got there two hours before, so I could watch the basketball games in the Lexus Club. Uh, it was almost like you're in a luxury sports bar. Um, beautiful down there. It's, I mean, celebs all over the place. Everybody. It was great to be there. Then come right out to the fans, the, ba- the uh, behind home plate. It was just a really, it's, it's a great, it's the best baseball club. Better than the legends in the, in the Yankees. But very nice, great experience, and just wonderful. And I could watch the Warrior Rocket game on my iPad because of this Wi-Fi. That's the best Wi-Fi in the stadium too. So it was a great game, and I was glad to be glad to go there to see the Pirates. But of course, the Pirates are terrible. I mean, they look they 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 teased everyone with a good start, but now they've lost seven in a row, and they're going to have one of the worst records in baseball. 
and uh, Chris Archer, actually, um, you know, who'd been pitching pretty well up until his last start, just hit uh, hit the disabled list. So not gonna be uh, not gonna be fun uh, going forward for for them. Um, have you ever seen anything like the Yankees and how this team? They have an all-star team position by position on the DL, and it, it's just crazy, but they keep winning. They're just like the Dodgers. These teams, so when the Yankees went and played at uh, uh, the ballpark of the Palm Beaches, so our fit team ball, whatever you want to call it, so I went to that game, and they were playing, oh, they brought two of their starters and all the reserves. Well, those reserves are all their starters now. I mean, they, the Yankees, again, they're like the Dodgers. They can, they can field two teams. This is there's there's now these two levels of baseball. The Pirates and Marlins are playing like their team is almost like the third team. Like there's like the first team of the Dodgers, the first team of the Yankees, the second team of the Dodgers, the second team of the Yankees, and then like the third the first teams of these others. I mean, it's unbelievable how much better that the fact that the Yankees could have the best record in baseball or the second best record with with 15 guys on their disabled list, their entire pitching staff, but it doesn't matter anymore. They are so loaded um, and they're tremendous. I mean, again, they look. I mean, they're as much as the Red Sox are fumbling. This start of the season, the Yankees are still rolling, and they have none of their none of their stars. No Judge, no Stanton, nothing, and they're still seventeen and eleven. Yeah, one of their uh, top prospects, Clint Frazier, has been doing everything possible just to keep himself on the roster. <laughs> once, uh, you know, once he's eligible to be sent back, and Luke Voigt was the Player of the Week um, for the for the American League last week. So yeah, they just they're finding ways to win games. It's amazing. Uh, before we get to Mikey Everone, I re- I didn't watch the Zurich, and I really don't like that the whole. Ten, you know, pairing guys up with with other people. And did you ever find out what was going on with Brooks Kepka? Did he play with uh, his brother? That was really weird. <laughs> it's a weird tournament. They're trying to get excitement from this. It looks like though that it was a pairs tournament. I know that sounds like it's ice skating, but I'm sure the rankings this week. The Wells Fargo is this week in Charlotte. The one that Tiger got injured and pulled out of a few years ago. Another one of those injuries where he pulled out and he was supposed to play in it but didn't. People are saying, "Oh, is that a bad sign?" And other people say, "No, not really. It shows that he won the Masters." And really, Tiger right now doesn't win to win tournaments. He's just going for 18 or 19, really, to beat Jack's record. I mean, the Wells is this. Week week. Byron Nelson is next week. The PJ Championship of Beth Page, which he'll play. He'll take a week off and play the Memorial, and then take another week off and play the U.S. Open. So it's like, it looks like Tiger's really just playing the majors now. And it's another sign that I don't think he's ever going to play the Honda at least for the next few years. But uh, uh, it was, uh, it'll be interesting to see what uh, Day and McElroy are in the Wells this coming this week. Uh, but this format of alternate ball, I mean, they're trying to get excitement. I don't think the ratings were that good, but it's just something to do in a tournament. It's, it's all Almost felt like an exhibition, not even a golf tournament on TV. Everyone's joking around with it. So, I do believe we have uh, Mike Iavarone on the line with us, uh, owner of Big Brown. Time to talk a little bit of Kentucky Derby. I love this time of year. And uh, Mike, um, you know, first and foremost, I think that this, in my opinion, is one of the more wide open Kentucky Derby fields we've seen in a long time. I'm trying to make a little bit of money. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. Uh, this is uh, this is definitely a challenging year for sure. It's difficult. Ira, what have you got for Mike? Mike, in, in terms of, well, first of all, I know that you're now, you've been at, you owner of Big Brown, Benny the Bull, one of the top horse owners in the late 2000s, and, but you now have a couple horses running even in Santa Anita this weekend. Tell me a little about getting back, you getting back, at least in the horse racing business, a little bit in terms of some really good horses that you own now. <laughs> yeah, I started to get back in a couple of years ago. I had the itch. I was going to take a break, got back into the investment banking world, but still missed the horses. So I picked up some horses, and I've had some really good luck. I, uh, I won a couple million dollar races last year. I have a couple of really good horses, uh, and on Saturday, I have a favorite in the third race at stake. Uh, it's a hundred thousand dollars stake for a three-year-old filly, and 
And uh, I also have a really good uh, maiden uh, by Medallia Doro. Uh, we get 245000 for her as a yearling. Uh, she's running in a maiden special on the 5th. She should probably be the favorite as well. So maybe we get lucky get two out of two on Saturday at Santa Anita. Well, that's exciting. So this is an interesting derby in terms of uh, the fact that Baffert, uh, who had won the Triple Crown with Justify, won the Triple Crown with American Pharaoh, has three really good horses running. Uh, in this race, and in terms of, and, and, and it seems like everybody's coming from different directions, whether it's Santa Anita, Arkansas, Florida. Uh, what do you say, in, overall in general, what have you thought about the season coming up to this, the, the different derbies, and is there something, is there, is there a derby that I should have been watching, and so like the second or third in that derby, like the Arkansas Derby or the Florida Derby or the Santa Anita, might have a chance? Was there one of these races that was really, really good, and that maybe somebody who maybe didn't win that, we should be keeping our eyes on? Well, in preparation for this call, I, I took a look at some, some statistics, and I found something very interesting. The last nine years, there has not been one Kentucky Derby winner that has not won one of the four major preps leading up to the Kentucky Derby. So either uh, the Wood Memorial, the Bluegrass, the Florida Derby, or the Santa Anita Derby has been uh, the catapult to, four, to nine consecutive Derby winners. This year, though, things are a little bit twisted because of the issues they have with the Santa Anita track. So a lot of trainers like Richard Vandella and Bassett had to reroute their horses and run in Arkansas. And it made it a little bit challenging. For example, uh, one of Bassett's horses shipped for the Arkansas Derby, which is improbable, shipped over for the Rebel, uh, came back for the Ar- uh, to Santa Anita and then ran back again for the Arkansas Derby, which is a lot on a three-year-old to travel back and forth several times. So it definitely put a little bit of a, uh, a kink in, in the training of some of these horses. But if you ask me which of the horses stood out to me, I think the horses in Arkansas were the best. Uh, I, I could kind of go through the four, the four preps and tell you what my feeling was. The, the Florida Derby, I felt, was uh, a very, uh, very strangely run race. The track was very fast that day. It was very speed-favoring. Service had a horse in there that had broke his maiden and maiden 16 claiming. So I have no idea how good this horse really is, but he went to the lead and he was able to just run away from him on a conveyor belt. But what I found interesting was the horse that came second followed that horse, broke that horse the whole way. That horse was 90 to 1 and he was a maiden. So I, I don't take uh, that much from the Florida Derby and say that that's my Derby horse. So I'm basically discarding uh, maximum security because I know he's going to be one of the favorites and I'm going to fill him right out. I'm definitely going to look at the Arkansas Derby. I think uh, two things. One, I think Omaha Beach will be over that in the race. I think that that day was a very sealed track. It was muddy sealed. It was very speed favoring. I thought he had a perfect trip. He was outside of a long shot. He fought that horse. He got the lead. He held off improbable. had a very difficult trip and broke to the starting gate before the race. So I think improbable moves forward from that race. I kind of think Omaha Beach takes a step back. A horse that ran in that race, who I really like, and I think will be a price and has a big chance to win the Derby, is the horse that won the Rebel. He didn't run well in the Arkansas Derby. He was too close to the pace. He didn't like the slop. Uh, and that is um, Long Range Potty. And that's Steve Ashmeason's horse. I think that horse is a big shot. I think he's going to be 30, 40 to 1. I think he's very playable. Uh, above that, I don't like any horse from the Santa Anita Derby. And I really don't like much from the, from the Bluegrass. So I think if you focus on the Arkansas Derby and the Rebel, I think that's where you're, you're going to find your best horses. What do you think? What do you like about long range in terms of the background? And I preference this by saying that 
We had you on in February, and you said justify. You didn't just say justify Kentucky Derby. You said justify Triple Crown. So I give you a lot of credit because right then that was that was in February, and and it run three races, and it hadn't won anything really. And you just said justify is trip is not just Kentucky, but Triple Crown winner. So what so what's what do you like about Long Range, and what do you think what in terms of uh, breeding or whatever that did you think it is uh, is it, is one of the horses you like to win? Okay, well, a couple of things about him. He's very much to look at. You know, he, he's a he's a pretty slender horse, a little head, uh, runs with his head eye. From the pure, uh, you know, consummation and look of a Kentucky Derby winner, he doesn't have any of that. He's still more like mine that bird was. But what he does have is he has an ability to take dirt, and he has a very, very strong one run. And he's the kind of horse that when you're going to put him in the race like you did in the Arkansas Derby, he's not going to fire. He needs to be completely off the bridle. Uh, he needs to settle into his stride, and he needs to do all his running late. If you watch the way Calvin Burrell rode mine that bird, that's how long-range Toddy needs to be ridden. And Steve Anthony knows what he's doing. That guy knows how to win big races, and he knows how to get his horses ready. And I think if they relax this horse, and he can find running room, you know, obviously 20 horses is tough, and he can get a reasonable enough post, he'll be coming late, I am convinced. That kick that he made in the Rebel, when he beat good horses in that race, that win, that race, I believe, is good enough to win the Kentucky Derby at a big fight. Wow. I mean, because there is going to be traffic and, and horses, and so it'd be interesting, but it's one of those, <laughs> yeah, that you're waiting. What other, so you like long range, probably put it with maybe Omaha Beach, because even though Omaha Beach is favors over, over bed, it's probably going to be in one of the top. Would you say Omaha Beach still is good enough to be in the top three or four? Actually, the way I see it, I, I think he's either going to win or he's a complete throwout. And the only way I see him winning is if he's able to sit just off a pace that's not crazy, gets an outside trip, and takes over the top of the stretch and holds up the closers. That doesn't happen in the Derby. They're not going to get away with 47, 48 in the Kentucky Derby. You know, they're going to go 45, 46. And he's not going to win if he's 6, 7 back. That's just not his style. He hasn't done it. Plus, two of his best races are on off track. I don't know what the weather looks like in, in Louisville, but I'm not hearing it's you know, going to be a sloppy track or anything like that at this point. If it's a sloppy track and it gets a good post, it changes things. On a fast track, He's going to need the perfect trip, and I just think that there's going to be plenty of speed in here. He's going to probably be further back than he wants to be, and I think there are horses that have a better kick than he does. So I, I am, I'm, my inclination is to throw him out. If you're going to look for a horse that I think can suck up also at a price and get a piece of this is the horse that ran third in the Florida Derby is Code of Honor. McGahee also knows how to get him ready. He worked 46 and change. They were very big on that work two days ago. He's going to be ready. Uh, he was, you know, he was the horse, you know, at the end of his two-year-old season. And, you know, sometimes they don't start off the right way. Shug knows how to get him ready. He's going to be a place, too. Of the favorites, I think it probably is the best in that group. Mike, you still there? Yeah, I re- <laughs> Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, I'm here. So you like, so you like, you like, you like improbable in terms of being that favorite in terms of now is it interesting that Baffert has the three horses is there I mean he hasn't proved that he plays games he actually it seems like he always runs you know the best one to win you don't think he's going to do anything trying to to run in sort of a pace or using roadster improbable and game win you know in a certain different way to try to try to get one of them to win he usually plays it you know a straight 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 shooter on these 
Well, I don't see... Well, what only in the Belmont last year, I don't even want to talk about that. We all know what happened there. But in this race, those horses, all three of them, uh, have an off-the-pace style. So they're all going to try to win. I do find it interesting that Mike Smith chose Omaha Beach over over, over Rosta. Um, so in my eyes, that kind of knocks the Santa Anita Derby even more. So, you know, obviously he rode Rosta. He rode Omaha Beach. He obviously feels Omaha Beach is the better horse. I don't necessarily feel Omaha Beach is as good as Mike Smith does, but he's on both of the horses. So, you know, he's probably better than mine. And with that being said, I am looking at the pure race dynamic. And I know what it takes, what kind of horse it takes to win the Derby. And, and I just I just think there are better options at a mile and a quarter for better prices. I, I think Omaha Beach might go off the favorite, maybe 7-2. to two. And I'm going to demand, you know, in this race, I'm going to demand 15-1. to one. So just to summarize, you like long range, you like code of honor, and if you're going to do a trifecta, you put in probable win that, or am I misstating what your prediction? I, I like those three horses. And from from a, from the pure perspective of who's supposed to win, in my opinion, improbable is supposed to win. I think he's the best of the favorites. But if I'm the way I intend to bet, I'm going to use all three of them, but I will do the best if one race party wins the race. And I know that I'm going to get real value. If Long Range Body wins, I have to believe he's somewhere between 20 and 30 to 1. Uh, could be more. And, and I believe in this particular race, you're going to get paid. And, and that's it. And I'm also going to make another prognostication. I'm going to tell you that I don't believe there'll be one winner of more than one of these Triple Crown races. I think you have three different winners of, of these three races. I don't think one horse is going to stand out at all in the Triple Crown. Okay, well then that's a, I mean that's that's a good prediction. I mean prediction because I said you said last year you said justify you were all in on justify and you weren't even yeah. wavering on that. So that's uh, I mean for the Belmont I guess they're upset about course. that because they do like to have to come to the Belmont and have that that, that horse for the Triple Crown and certainly American yeah. Pharaoh and Justify have been exciting the last couple of years. But uh, that know, would be a prediction. You know, but uh, no, like that's great. That it, put themselves in the right spot and justify I knew had to put himself in the right position, and he was big and strong enough to stay there. Same thing with American Pharaoh. This particular group, there's not one of those horses that is big, strong, and quick enough early to be able to muscle all the horses out of the way. So I'm going to look for horses on the other side that are slender and maneuverable, like Long Range Taddy, to try to run down these other horses that are going to be basically smashing into each other around three times. Well, that is exciting, though. You know, it'll be great because it is exciting when you're like, well, the long range would be like way in the back for the whole race, and then it's always exciting when they're making that stretch run and come out of nowhere and uh, and win. Right. And certainly the greatest. If, you know, if, he's, if he's within 10 or 15 lengths of the, of the lead down the back stretch, he can't win. That, that's how far back he needs to be. So he's going to need uh, to completely come off the battle, settle way back, and, you know, kind of make that one run that, you know, we've seen horses in the past win the Derby making. Wow. Well, uh, Mike, do you have any more questions for for Michael? But and I, Michael, from my perspective, I'm in Los Angeles right now. I know you'll be coming out to Santa Anita, and uh, but uh, it's uh, it's a little chilly here. It's in the 60s, uh, some rain, so the track might not be that fast because it's getting it. But uh, again, thanks a lot for your predictions. I really I really appreciate you coming on, and uh, I know a lot of people are looking forward to it because you were so right on last year. So uh, thanks again for coming on uh, Iron Sports. Absolutely. Anytime. Anytime, guys. 
He is Mike Iavarone. Uh, great, great guest here on Iron Sports, getting me uh, all excited for this weekend's Kentucky Derby. So, uh, really looking forward to this and looking forward to making a little cash, Ira. What do you think about that? This is Iron Sports on the True Oldies channel at 7:51. I'm Mike Balsamo. Ira, the NFL draft is in the books. There wasn't that many surprises to me. I, I thought a lot of things went as they should, with the exception of. The Giants not taking um, Josh Allen or, or or Ed Oliver or any of these players for Daniel Jones. But regardless of that, I, I think the city of Nashville and the NFL in general were big winners with this draft. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I've been – first of all, I've been to a dozen drafts. So I go to the, the – it's a Radio City Music Hall. It's really exciting. They give you the best – gift bag ever. <laughs> you can put something in your ears so you can hear you have all the drafts. I mean, but they haven't had it in New York for three, four years. They said we're moving it around. And they were hoping to get some fans. They had it in Dallas. They had it in Chicago. They had it in Philly. They think it's in Nashville. People are like, wow, it's Music City. They might get 50,000 people. 600,000 people for a draft? Crazy. I mean, that, did you see this? I mean, they were the whole way down the street, like a mile. I, it was the most uh, visual, tremendous. I mean, the NFL has to be excited by that. And then the great thing the NFL did, I watched the whole draft, is that they would go out for even the fourth and fifth round picks. We're out to someplace in Minnesota, and somebody's reading the pick for the Vikings, and it's not even downtime, and it's some, and there's like a thousand people there. I mean, all around the country, they were doing this. I mean, you're talking, there were tens of hundreds of thousands of people just doing these other picks outside. The NFL did this right. They did it great. They have turned this draft that used to be in a conference room in a in the in the Marriott Hilton in I mean the Hilton sorry the Hilton in New York um, and and I get the story was that ESPN called them up and said we like to broadcast and the NFL's like why why would you want to broadcast the draft and now it's it's bigger than the games I mean just an amazing just to watch on TV very exciting great analysis. Um, and it's someone like for me who loves college football, so I know a lot of these players, but also likes the NFL. It's like the merging of the two sports. So I just, again, Nashville, what a, what a, every time they turn, they went live, the views were, I, I've never seen anything like that in my life. Um, Ira, all right, let's talk about it. Uh, it's pretty much what everyone was discussing leading up to it is the quarterbacks and who's going to go where to what team, maybe some uh, trades. So what was your uh, takeaways on the quarterbacks? This is why the quarterbacks are so important. Uh, you have $188 million in your salary cap. Russell Wilson makes $35 million. Ben Roethlisberger, $34. Aaron Rodgers, $34. Uh, Cousins, $30. Jimmy G, $28. Stafford, $27 million. I mean, I go down the list. Brady makes actually 20 Dalton, 16 And then you jump all the way to the, quote, young people in the rookie contract. Mayfield, 8 Darnell, 7 Trubisky, 7 Mahomes, 4 Wentz, 7 so what does that mean? Well, if you're not going to pay a starter 35 and you can get a really good quarterback who's going to be your starter for seven or eight, you now have, besides having a great quarterback, you have another $30 million to spend on all your other positions. It's tremendous. So you get like another six another 15, 16% of the cap, or wait, 20% of the cap that you can then use for other players. And, makes, and that's why it's imperative now to hit it right on these, these young quarterbacks. It's imperative to get one right. And you, can't, and, and you don't need to have Pat Mahomes to win the Super Bowl. You don't need Tom Brady to win the Super Bowl. But you really got to have someone good or your entire team, it's a disaster. And that's why Arizona, after drafting Josh Rosen with the 10th pick last year, decides to go trade him to the Dolphins and draft Kyler Murray at Oklahoma with the first pick. Um, he fit their system with Cliff Kingsbury. He was expected to be the first pick. He went one. Um, and then everyone is bashing the Giants. And what, what, you could go comment after I say this, but 
I don't know. They wanted Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones was a weird quarterback. He went to Duke. I went to Duke, so I watched him a lot. He had some terrible games. His team was awful. It was six and five record. They threw twenty two touchdowns, nine interceptions, sixty percent his senior year. He's but they he was projected maybe the end of the first round. No one really knows whether he's gonna be a career backup. But the Giants tried to trade back, but they couldn't. And if you can't trade back and you want your guy, it's like when you play fantasy. There's players that you want and you just you're like, Well, if I wait for that, you don't really trade in fantasy. But if you think you're gonna have to go back like in a snake draft, like you have to draft the guy you want and even if it's not the right position. The Giants wanted him and they rolled the dice. I, I I guess you Mike, you don't you don't like the Daniel Jones pick. You know what? I I'm in, in the camp kind of what you just said. Listen, if that's your guy, David Gettleman, that's fine. If you know, you're analyzing this a lot more than any Giants fan. So if that is your guy, great. But I think he's lying to everybody when he says there were multiple teams interested in acquiring him before pick 17. So I would have loved this was such a, a deep draft, even a trade down two or three spots. And if you don't get him, you, you don't get him. Uh, I'm not I'm not going to beat him up over the pick. I, I personally don't think he's going to be very good. But like I said, I, I don't you know, this isn't my job to assess talent. It is my job as a fan to want them to do the best thing for the team, and I don't know if taking this guy at number six overall was was what we need to do. But I will say this for the Giants, that, that it seems like everybody got their quarterback needs, and there's a lot of good quarterbacks coming out. And I think this is one of these, it's not like, oh, if you draft an early-round pick, you can't ever draft. Well, the Cardinals had 10 last year, and they just drafted one. So I think that in a position like this, they don't mind having a do-over. Now, I don't know if Gettleman would get the chance to, to have that. He might not be the guy that does the do-over, but from the Giants' ownership, they might say, look, we will. And, 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 and Daniel Jones appears to be a really great guy. He's gone to the Manning camp. He knows Eli Manning. He knows Peyton Manning. I'm not saying they're best friends, but they're familiar. I think he's going to be a great person in the system. He can sit by behind Eli for a year, and they can watch to see how good he's going to be. And uh, he's 6'5", strong guy. Um, I think it's going to be interesting in terms of how he, how he was. But that helped. That draft pick helped the Redskins because then the Redskins then at 15 could say, well, remember, Alex Smith broke is injured, might not come back and play. They have Case Keenum and Colt McCoy. But Dwayne Haskins, who threw for 4,800 yards from Ohio State last year, 50 touchdowns, eight interceptions, 70% passing, great year. He falls right to the Redskins at 15. It's great about him. He grew up a Redskins fan. He is in he was in Gaithersburg, Maryland when he when they drafted when he drafted him. I mean, he's now going to his school that the team that he loved being. And um, I think and they didn't have to trade up for him, so they got him at 15. And I think he could start. I mean, he's like you look at these guys as like he's someone who probably could start day one. Like they because they really if he can beat out Case Keenum or Cole McCoy, whereas Daniel Jones is not supplanting Eli game one, day one. I think Daniel Jones would be at the end of the year if the Giants aren't playing well. Um, but then you're after the first day, you're thinking, okay, quarterbacks are done. What happened to Miami and what happened to Denver? And then Miami makes the trade for Josh Rosen for the second-round pick. Um, and then Denver takes Drew Locke from Missouri. Now, remember, they have Joe Flacco, but this is someone who out – um, John always made mistakes in the past that these quarterbacks he had Paxton Lynch we thought was going to be the superstar from Memphis but they liked I've seen Drew Locke play I think he stinks but they liked him from Missouri he was the fourth quarterback that a lot of, in a lot of people's boards so he goes to Denver and then in the third round now we're getting interesting because I think it's not so much who got drafted but who drafted him and why Will Greer to Carolina in the third round. Oh, they have Cam Newton Cam Newton's 29 years old prime of his career why are they wasting a third round pick on Will Greer well, I think they're concerned about Cam Newton's injuries. I think they're concerned with his shoulder and all the other problems. And I think they are in their mind, even though they have this MVP can't player in Cam Newton, maybe he's not going to play. 
And then Cincinnati, fourth round, takes Ryan Finley of NC State, who Todd McShay has like had his best quarterback. And uh, Andy Dalton, he's 31, but they're saying, well, Andy Dalton might not be that great. I know we pay him $25 million a year. We yeah. know he did, but maybe they're challenging him. And then what comes, what did the Patriots do? Jared Stidham in the fourth round. The perfect pick for them. Stidham was like this great high school player. He goes to Baylor, was going to be this great quarterback. They had the whole crisis they had in Baylor. He goes to Auburn, a mess in Auburn, too, in terms of how they play. He really was did not play well last year, but he's really he looks like a pro quarterback. Um, and he can go to, to New England, learn under Brady, learn under Belichick, learn under Josh McDaniels, and maybe he's the heir apparent, but it's not good. But it's great for Brady because it's not like people are going to say, "Oh, Jared Sidham has got to start game one." I mean, uh, Brady has three bad games. Jared said, "No, they're not going to put him in." But I think it's the great pick to put there. Um, interesting, Easton Stick. I love the name. North Dakota <laughs> State with San Diego, so they were trying to look for maybe uh, Philip Rivers, uh, it's the next person to come in, and then the Eagles. Clayton Thomas from Northwestern in the fifth round. Maybe Carson Webster, they remember they traded Nick Foles to Jacksonville. Maybe he's the guy that uh, maybe they're a little nervous about Carson Wentz being healthy this year, and they wanted to make that draft pick. And then Gardner Minshew, who I love, Jacksonville. I, I, I think he's, I'm telling you, Gardner Minshew from Washington State is going to be the starting quarterback in Jacksonville in three years. I, I think he's phenomenal. I think he's great. And uh, I think in the sixth round, this deal. And then it was nice to see Trace McSorley from Penn State go to the Ravens. Um, and I think he's going to be neat how they use that. And considering Lamar Jackson is probably going to be injury prone the way they run, I think it's good to have a guy like Trace McSorley who plays the similar type. He's a similar Lamar Jackson, likes to run the ball, I think, but they also could use him as a receiver and other packages. I like what Baltimore did. Great guy, great quarterback, great Penn State player. So that was with the uh, with that pick. No, I, I agree with you all over the, <clears throat> all over that, but. Ira, to me, one of the steals of the draft had to be the Miami Dolphins finagling uh, Josh Rosen away for just a second-round pick. I would have liked to see the Giants do that. You know, Josh Rosen is just—I'd like to see Josh Rosen do well. Everyone sees a great guy. He went to UCLA, uh, 10th-round pick. In last year, Arizona had no offensive line. Terrible. But he comes to Miami on a, for a second-rounder when he was, again, he was this high draft pick last year. If he came out this year, he'd probably be the number one quarterback taken— um, if he would have stayed another year. So uh, it's, it's like a risk-reward for the Dolphins. I mean, they really, their draft was, they didn't have a lot of draft picks this year anyway. They gave up their second-round pick. Next year, they have like 100 draft picks. I mean, they're not tanking this year, but they really are building. It's not a problem. I mean, they made a big deal on the Internet today because they said, Josh Rosen, the Dolphins said, we might draft a quarterback next year. Well, yes, they might. If Josh Rosen is any good, they only gave him a second-round pick for him, and of course they would. I mean, Josh Rosen knows that. The Cardinals did the same thing to him. So I don't think it's an indictment of Josh Rosen or Ryan Fitzpatrick or anybody. If these quarterbacks look really good and they're playing great, then they're going to be the starting quarterback next year. And uh, and I think and I, I don't think Josh Rosen's so upset. It's not a slap. In his, I mean, it's slapping his face. He was drafted with the tenth pick, and he was and then he was traded traded to the Dolphins and, and lost his job. But uh, it'll be interesting. I mean, it, I think in Miami it'll be great. He's a, he's supposedly I said a great guy. Um, had some issues or uh, whatever. And they said he's like he feels like he's the smartest guy in the room. Well, I think you want your quarterback to feel like the smartest guy in the room. And uh, coming to the Dolphins, working their system, it was it was a great. It was like a, one of those risk returns, uh, risk rewards. Wasn't that much of a risk uh, in terms of what they had to give up? And he could definitely. If you're, he's going to be the starting quarterback at the Dolphins for the next 15 years, he's certainly worth it. Um, Ira, we're running out of time here on Ira on Sports. Um, you know, this wasn't the best skill position draft, and the running backs and receivers aren't huge name, you know, uh, uh, huge um, 
uh, considered to be people that are going to turn your team around immediately. So what's your take on some of the uh, skill skill positions? We're going to, I know we're running out. We're going to talk a little bit this next week because there's no draft, but how about we do wide receivers next week? Cause I love what happened with wide receivers. And I think what we're going to tease for next week is that this is the first time in fantasy perspectives that you're going to win or lose based upon these rookie wide receivers. Because these teams went almost the entire second round with every team picks a rookie wide receiver. And they're going to play this year. And it's not going to be sitting on the bench. And if you, some will, some won't, and some are going to be superstars. And if you pick the right ones, you're going to win fantasy. Running back, very interesting. Josh Jacobs went, so just going to cover the running backs. Jacobs went to, from Alabama, went to the Raiders. He's probably going to be the starting running back. Miles Sanders from Penn State went to the Eagles, going to be the starting running back there. Interesting. Daryl Henderson of Memphis. Love this guy. Amazing running back from Memphis. He went to the Rams. Well, why, what's so weird? Todd Gurley might be hurt. I mean, Todd Gurley, there could be an issue. And that's suddenly a guy that I think has a really good chance to play for the Rams if Gurley, Gurley's injured. And then David Montgomery from Iowa State to the Bears, starting running back for the Bears over Tariq Cohn. So you've got, so I got the four running backs that will be there. And Devil Seven Singletary in the third round. Florida Atlantic, right down the road, Boca Raton. He went to the Bills. You're like, well, the Bills have LaShawn McCoy. But, you know, the Bills are rebuilding. And something Singletary is really good. Maybe they want to, maybe they'll trade McCoy. Maybe they want to pay McCoy. And, uh, and Singletary is going to be that starting, starting guy. Um, and I love what the Steelers did, Benny Snell. Benny Snell from Kentucky. I saw him play. Great running back. And it's, I think what's going to happen in this league now with running backs, everybody is rotation. They have James Conner. Um, they're going to use Snell. They're going to have, uh, you know, they are definitely going to be, Conner's not going to carry the ball a million times like he did the beginning part of the year and get worn down. So I think the running back position is going to be very interesting. Everyone's going to be a timeshare and is interested. But the wide receivers we'll talk about next week. And I cannot, I'll just say right now, Steeler draft, Absolutely amazing. Trading up to get Devin Bush. Um, Devin Bush was supposed to go 20 to the Steelers. Then he moved up to 10. Everyone said, oh, the Steelers will never get him. They wanted him. They liked him. They traded up and they got him. He's going to be like the Ryan Shazier. They're, they're, uh, it's tremendous. He's going to be a starting linebacker. He could be a Hall of Fame uh, linebacker for them. They got Justin Lane, a cornerback from Michigan State. They got Benny Snell. Um, and they got a great wide receiver, DeAndre Thompson for, from Toledo, who's like Antonio Brown lookalike. So I thought the Steelers, everyone thinks the Steelers nailed the draft. I'm more excited than everyone else. But uh, it, was, it was a great draft. And we'll talk about the Dolphins draft a little next week, and we'll talk about the wide receivers, which I think are very important what happened. Because I don't think this has ever happened in the league before where you had so many wide receivers go in that first at the end of the first round and all of the second. Ira, before we wrap it up, where are you heading next week or this week? Um, well, uh, before we – I'm going to go probably Toronto, Philly, Game 3 in Philadelphia. And Alvarez Jacobs on Saturday. This Kentucky Derby Saturday – uh, the Warriors uh, Rockets Saturday and Alvarez Danny Jacobs going to be a great fight on DA at ZN. Um, Alvarez is one of the best boxers in the world. Jacobs is phenomenal. It's got a middleweight championship of the world, so it'll be a really, really great, uh, great fight. So, but I definitely, I think I'll be on uh, Thursday night. I'll be Toronto, Philadelphia. We want to thank Mike Evarone so much for stopping by. On behalf of Ira, I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Iron Sports.